out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Indeed, we are. Hello, this is David Eastall, the C86 Show. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of Bradford, the band, all the way from Blackburn. Yes, it's a confusing world, I know. Um, Yeah, the band, best known for being liked by Morrissey, who proclaimed that they were the heirs to the Smith's throne. Anyway, this is the interview, um, and with two members of the band, uh, Ian Hodgson and Ewan Butler. Now... How are you going to know the difference? Well, Ian talks first, and he's got a slightly, I don't know, how do you describe a voice? Yes, I don't know. Anyway, Ian, Ian speaks first. and yeah, So you'll, you'll get the gist anyway, don't worry about it. Um, yeah, and um, that's it really. So we had been having a bit of chat about this and that, and then got down to, yes, the, the classic indie years, the fact that the band started in 87 in the thick of indie pop, during that golden um, decade. Well, anyway, I Ian, it's over to you. Classic indie, the, the period in the um, the kind of 80s, mid-80s to, I suppose, early 90s, when, yes, yes we were we were there for around three years, I would say. Yeah. Yes. Well, actually, I suppose with the classic indie, I've, I've got it down to sort of, this is my theory, so 83 to 87, basically the years of the Smiths. Um, but, but then obviously there's there's kind of a bit before like bands like the Marine Girls who were quite indie and then obviously loads of bands who came afterwards. But I don't really count Britpop as indie because I think it was not yeah. indie at all really. But um, so, but that's kind of, because I kind of feel like the Smiths kind of epip- epitomised everything about indie for those five glorious years but it doesn't mean other bands like the Sundays who came along and various other bands weren't indie but they definitely weren't Brit pop as well the Sundays got our record contracts at Rough Trade believe it or not <laughs> oh excellent yeah we because did. what we yeah, well, <laughs> didn't it didn't they yeah, they yeah. Did. because yeah. Uh, we were having talks with, just as an interjection we were having talks with Jeff Travis at the time he was coming up to Blackburn to see us because he was very impressed with Skin Storm I indie release if you will that we put out ourselves and he was all talking about you know signing the dotted line but we wanted to go a little bit bigger we were starting well i think it would mean more details um we were starting to have talks with um phonogram adrian thrills do you remember adrian thrills oh yes he was a right he was a friend of shane mcgowan's he was a writer at the enemy he became an a and i man for phonogram and we really liked adrian he had a you know really good history and he was coming up as well, talking to us. We were taking him out for curries and things. And, um, yeah, we wanted to sign with Phonogram. And we basically blew it. We were off trade through that, didn't we? We did. I think we upset Jess Travis through that, I think, um, because he did seem extremely keen on signing us. And he was he was pulling out all the stops. And he was saying, basically, write your own contract. And, yes, we can do this for you. We'll do that for you. And then because we had this, you know, alternative interest, um, we kind of put things on hold with Jeff and um, much to our dismay, sort of with the passing of probably about a period of about four or five months, the kind of the initial exposure we got in the, the media in because there was a period for about, I don't know, was it about six months? Yeah, yeah. Well, we were just like media darlings and we couldn't do anything wrong really. And this sort of began to kind of fizzle out a bit towards the end of, I think it was 1987, yeah? Or was it 88? 88, 88, 88 towards yeah. the end of 1988. Mm-hmm. And I think Jeff Travis kind of, I, I don't know about this, but I, I kind of 
imagine that he probably got wind of the fact that we were we were in two minds about whether or not to sign with him and so he, I think he kind of at that point kind of lost interest to a certain extent and moved on to the Sundays yeah um, so oh. kind of left us a bit high and dry however it was at that time we ended up supporting Morris at the end of 1988 it was 88 yeah uh, 22nd of December at his first solo performance and that's when we bumped into Stephen Strait at the concert where he expressed, you know, uh, interest in the band. He said, it, 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 you know, he heard Skinstorm. He was very excited about the band. He thought we'd already signed with somebody. And he was surprised to hear that we were still unsigned. And he kind of snapped us up straight away. Blimey. It's just, it's just the murky and interesting world that is record labels, isn't it? I know. There's a, whole, there's a whole world that we can talk about about admin, which I'm fascinated by. But before we talk about admin, what about, could you just give us a bit of an idea of the early years? Because obviously, if you were active as a band in 87, you must have been sort of kicking around doing various other musical adventures. We um, we've kind of formed as as I was, as we were now, if you will. I mean, you and, when did Bradford start, 80? It, it, Five. It, yeah, it was as early as probably about eighty-five. But uh, we had kind of a few different lineups, really, and it, things really only started to get serious, I suppose, when Ian joined the band. Um, up until then, it, you know, we changed different members of the band, and it, it, we, we were just kind of we did play some concerts, some gigs, but they were only kind of small affairs. And we met. I met Ian. Uh, music, uh, Blackburn Musicians Cooperative meeting and we kind of became friends and he, I came to see him perform, he came to see us perform and we kind of, uh, me and some of the other members of the band at the time recognised that, you know, the talent he had and we kind of thought, well, yeah, it'd be great to get him into the band, which is what happened and it was sort of post then really, this would probably be about 1986. It was, yeah. And it was, I think we played our first gig at Manchester Boardwalk, October 1986, with Ian singing. And he'd already been in the band then, probably for about at least six months yeah. at least. Yeah, we were just getting to, you know, new material, rehearsing, you know, getting getting to know the new lineup, if you will, I suppose. And I was a songwriter, you was a songwriter, but eventually my <clears throat> my songs started edging their way into the set, I suppose, because um, I, could, I write a lot of songs. Uh, and then, yeah, that's when we became the entity that went on to make records i suppose excellent excellent and did it take because with most people they they take a bit of time to sort of get a sound that is kind of kind of be more interesting just playing to their sort of little family and friends and and a few other people they've had to sort of blackmail to go along so did did it take a while before or a certain amount of time before you made something that that sounded better than the 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 usual sort of you know i suppose kind of amateur bands it's a funny thing, really, uh, there, because um, we we never saw ourselves as indie as such. I mean, the, in, indie has a certain, you know, like you say, a certain sound, usually weak production, you know, kind of little chiming guitars. And we we liked, um, like, soul music. We like the small faces. We like the Redskins. We like the jam. We love the Smiths. Um, and I, I suppose we were coming from a slightly different gene pool than than the other bands like um, the bands who might have been on server for example bands like the field mice or um i don't know martin stevenson and the dainties and that kind of thing 
we, we came from somewhere else, I suppose. We, we wanted to make a slightly harder sound. And it just, it's from what we listened to. I mean, we love the jam and we love the clash. So that it, it was born out of that kind of thing, really. It wasn't conscious. We, it's just uh, what we like listening to. And it just get, uh, it just came flowing out of us, really. And it became our sound. Yeah. yeah. It, it did. It did. Um, I mean, it kind of evolved over a, perhaps a period uh, of eighteen months where we went from very kind of um, naive um, garage band kind of status, you know, just a few lads messing about together, into where we actually recorded uh, the Skin Storm at Strawberry Studios, um, which. To be honest, I, I listen to that track and, and it, it has a charm about it, but I, there are times I listen to it and I cringe and I think, you know, oh, we should have done that, we should have done this, but, I, you know, that's inevitable. But um, so it, it was, a, there was probably about a period of 18 months where we kind of evolved from being very much an amateurish outfit into a more serious uh, lineup. And um, it kind of began with the, it did begin with the, um, with the, the recording of Skin Storm. Sorry, I'm just, somebody's just at my front door. I'll have to go and answer it. Do you want to? Okay, right. I've never liked you, and actually, it's horrible. Uh, <laughs> it's fully, I don't. You didn't. You couldn't see that, but he's pinching my leg. <laughs> the table all the time, Dave. It's torture. Yes. Bedroom. Yes. So is he? Is he? Is it just the Amazon delivery? The daily delivery from Amazon. It's probably his wife coming back from Aldi. Actually, <laughs> right. it's quite rock and roll. And I mean, you know what it's like. Yes, this is the, the Friday after, oh, Friday morning shopping before the weekend. Yeah. So, um, when he's, is he is he near is he near back? He's. Uh, I can hear. Well, let's have a listen. Yeah, I can hear his familiar cough on the stairs. There it is. He's only a cough away. Here he is. Here he pops. Hey, he's back. Yeah. Yes. Do you want me? To- Continue, or have you? Yeah, no, do, do. I'll edit that bit out. So we were, we were I, I think we started to find a sound round about the time we, you know, we started recording seriously, which was Skinstorm. Um, and from then onwards, I'd say we were starting to become a bit more professional um, in our sound and our outlook and, um, you know, starting to, and of course, with the shot in the arm that we got from Morrissey endorsing us, um, I think I, everybody wanted to up the game a bit as well. Yes, well, quiet, because at that time, you know, Morrissey was something of a god. In, in, in later life, it's all become a bit tricky. But the interesting thing is, because cause with a lot of the bands I've interviewed, actually most of them, they, they do have this kind of four to five year narrative where, you know, they get together, they make a sound that they quite like, they do the single, that gets kind of picked up. Mostly this is kind of with John Peel, and then they do a session with John Peel, they do the album, and then, you know, it's the tricky second album. And if anybody ever does America, they come back come kind of uh, completely destroyed really and and they split up so so your your sort of narrative is you know you also had that sort of four years which seems to be kind of yeah. the, well, four to five years which which is kind of like any band who ever breaks out of that like I suppose I don't know big country you two um are, are doing kind of well and James yes yeah yeah absolutely yeah uh, it, it's the nature of the beast I suppose it, I mean you don't know it at the time I mean you you truly think that when you've got your record deal because you, you, your belief is such 
that your music is so great and you know you, you're making a great songs and that this is going to be it now you can start designing your mansion and uh, have some leopards in the grounds and you know what i mean you're going to be a big band but um many slip twigs cup and lip as we found because the musical landscape uh, changes so fast as we know with fashion it's a very facile um fashion based um industry as far as i can tell i'm not sure what it's like now so i don't really listen to what you might call modern music yeah. but yeah you get um you, yeah and, and also i think in the um the music press as well um they're constantly looking for a new thing you know for something new and exciting a new movement to to um to come along so you you very quickly can become the old guard and obviously what saw us off was um the massive phenomenon known as Manchester that just snowballed so many bands away yes. of which were definitely one of them well that's mm. interesting because having spoke to quite a lot of the bands who probably started a bit earlier than you and it got to you know so they sort of were, were coming to an end in sort of 87 88 i think you know again they were having to try and do their second or third album and it had to sort of lost interest but also there was the Manchester dance scene and then grunge appearing as well from the other side of the atlantic so but and, unless you were the soup dragons or the happy mondays mm. or, or possibly the stone roses but they were coming along a bit later you know most bands just said actually i've just really had enough now whereas you were kind of starting that journey just at those kind of next fashions because that's sort of that indie c86 world um yeah it kind of held together quite for a, quite a while but you know in yeah. music only like two years basically before before someone's like what's next you know yeah that's right absolutely um yeah we, i mean in a way i mean historically you can always be kind of clever and with hindsight but we, we kind of occupy a dusty little unique corner in english music i suppose it's only a small corner but we're, we're still here dusting the ornaments. <laughs> you know, I mean? um, you know yeah, it, it, there's nothing quite like a little, I mean, just, just the way we dressed as well, I suppose, you know, the, the skinhead kind of aesthetic, left wing kind of skinhead that is, of course, um, is again quite unique in, in British music. Maybe there's the Redskins who we were highly influenced by. And then there's, there's us really. So nobody else kind of looked like us. Um, and, well, obviously, um, we there was a, a Smiths influence, but we, you know, we we thought that we when we got to shouting quietly. If you listen to that album, it does have its own kind of sound. Really, you can pick out little elements here and there of where it's coming from, but essentially, it's a, we have our own thing going, I suppose. And did you sort of manage, because the other thing that mostly trip people up is the, the admin, as I mentioned earlier, sort of with publishing and record labels. And, and a lot of bands now don't own their music and sort of it's kind of in some archive in some record label that, you know, because they sort of sign with one little label and then that gets eaten up by another label and then, then so on and so forth. So eventually they have no idea where their sort of master tapes are. So they won't be able to ever have that moment in their career as they get into old age of being able to put a nice archive together probably on cherry red records yeah um, so they feel a bit depressed so did you, did you manage to um did you manage to sort of keep hold of your music um it was more Stephen on it you know it would uh, it's a bit of a gray area to be honest david because um because we 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 kind of signed our music over to well uh, initially with foundation Stephen's label. Stephen's label, yeah. And then, of course, that went bust uh, with 
following the collapse of Rough Trade. And um, so I think, well, I, I don't know. Do you remember the contracts? With- no, I think Island Music then signed up the publishing. And then Island, it's like fish eating each other, isn't it? The big fish eat the little fish as, yes. as Ray um, sing. And some big fish somewhere, um, Universal Music, I think, owns the rights to... Yeah. Um, some of our songs, as far as I can tell, it's a, it's really, it's like trying to hike your way through a jungle. I mean, I'm, I'm owed a lot of money through the skin storm royalties that Morrissey um, must have generated through massive sales throughout the world at that time. It was big. He sold in Japan, Australia, the USA, sold a lot of records, um, and I, I just can't get hold of that, that money from that. The royalties from that, it's just too convoluted. Our old publishers, uh, our old um, lawyers, Lee and Thompson, who I recently contacted with as much information as I could, they're, they're the guys who, who oversaw the signing of our publishing deal and record contract, didn't even bother getting back to me. Even though on the website it says, you know, we champion, um, you know, the small guy against the big, <laughs> you know, the big industry. But they didn't champion me, I tell you that. But it's interesting because most people I speak to, you know, I mean, they have a lot of sort of I suppose, fondness and sort of, I don't know, a bit of angst. And I think they sort of normally seem to get um, for all their work that they did 30 years ago and all the sales, they get something like, I don't know, £60 royalty, you know, a year, which they have to split amongst about five people. Which yeah, well, I, think... I don't split it, I'm a tight guy. Uh, <laughs> just pinches my leg under the table and uh, makes me snidey bruised to get his own back. <laughs> But obviously, did you have a moment then when you decided to sort of finish the band? Was it was it sort of an obvious moment, or because actually I did an interview with a guy um, from James, and I sort of asked him, and he said, "Well, they just got to the point where they just really hated each other, and then in a drunken moment, he said, shall we just finish? Shall we just just cancel the band?'" And everyone, "Yep, that's fine." And well, they it wasn't just... as dramatic as that, really, was it? You and it just kind of fizzled out in a horrible, messy way, I suppose. Yeah, um, it was. I, I mean, it had its moments but it was more prolonged than like on one night oh yeah that's yeah we're gonna call it a day there it kind of dragged on over months um, <laughs> and you know slowly with the we lost the drummer then the bass player and then it was just three of us and we and then i think it kind of that's where it perhaps it was more of a defining moment of okay we're gonna call it a day because you know things weren't going yeah, yeah, because we tried to carry on. Uh, we did some new stuff, which is on the 30 Years of Shouting Quietly release. I think Swim and Swing of Things, I think, is, is on there. Yeah. That's what we did when we when it was just three of us with Jed Lynch from Black Grape drumming for us. And we had a new management thing going on, and it was a kind of a newish sound, but nothing really happened with it. So that was our last kind of gasp, really. I suppose, and then we all had to go go away and get straight jobs. And then, and did you sort of keep in touch with each other during that period at all? Did you say let's just let's have twenty years, and then one day get in touch? Not really. No, no. We, I mean, me and Ian have always stayed stayed in touch. Um, you know, um, I, I suppose for a period of about over a period of 20 years following the breakup of the band with you know we teach other from time to time and the, the, there was always that rapport there we've always got along and more recently before we've decided to you know um restart the music project 
uh, we teach other socially. But with regards to the other members of the band, there's n- nobody's really kept in touch with. No, um, and we don't like them anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah. There was a, I mean, there is a, a little bit of rancor um, in the ranks. Let's say um, that's just the way it is. You know, five young men under an intense pressurized environment. Things get said, you know what I mean? And, um, you know, there's no point in... I think Paul McCartney said about the Beatles, you can't reheat a souffle, um, you know, regarding putting the Beatles back together. And it's the same thing, really. Emotionally and logistically, it would be impossible to make that music again with the five same individuals. You know, it's just um, completely impossible. But uh, the spirit and heart of Bradford is... Is me and you, and really, it always has been the look and the claws and the vision of it, uh, and the sound of it is largely ours, really. I mean, it was Ewan's band to start off with, um, and you know, um, and we're as close as we can be to that original kind of energy and that original spark. So, this is you know, this is fine as far as I'm concerned. And when you started to um put the band back together again, obviously, the two of you, did you um did you have a chat about who were the other who were the other members going to be? Well, it's happened um, kind of. I mean, I dragged in my godson Max, who's only twenty four, so he makes us look good. Because <clears throat> you know, can you imagine? <laughs> Otherwise, it'd be like some kind of um, day release from uh, a social services unit. Who's those four old men? Is this kind of therapy? So we've got this twenty four year old drummer who's a very powerful drummer. Yeah, um, behind us, and then you and you. Um... We, we, we've got a chap who's been involved with the band. I, somebody I went to school with actually for to pri- primary school with, so I've known him a lot of years. And um, he was kind of involved with the band. He, he engineered the original <clears throat> recording of Skin Storm. He's done engineering for us live. He's always been. Uh, he did some demos actually. The demos that are on the album with Stephen Street. He engineered on it that is, as yeah. well. So he's had a big kind of influence in and around the band over the years and he's he's a great guy a good friend of both of us and and it kind of it just it was purely by chance really because we at the beginning of the year we didn't have a drummer it was just me and Ian really um then we approached Ian's godson Max and then moving on from there it was just in a kind of a in a light-hearted moment whilst I was chatting with Joe the bass player now um was he interested in in getting involved and surprising surprisingly to me he, he jumped at it and uh, so but I think we've we've decided that a four piece is working really well and that's what we're gonna stick with so I, there's not going to be any further additions to it but we're, we're very happy with the the lineup at the moment yeah and obviously um, you've 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 had a few live dates and you've got a load coming up in the autumn as well so has that been quite boggling sort of getting back on stage and and rocking out again? Um, from my perspective, I suppose I've gone longer than Ian has. Ian has played with other bands and done solo stuff, so he's quite used to it. I don't think there's any change from his perspective. But for me, uh, there's been more um, lapse of time uh, with regards to playing live. But I don't know. I, I mean, the last gig we did in Manchester uh, a couple of weeks ago, I didn't really feel at all phased by it. I mean, I've, I've played so many gigs mm. over the years, yeah. you know, into the multiple <laughs> hundreds, you know. So yeah. it, 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 I, I felt fine. And, and to be honest, the feedback that we got off 
people who were who were present who been present during the original lineup it was so positive which has generally been the case really since you know all, all the performances we've done since three yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. and uh, it's it's been very positive feedback and um all, all almost like a, a new energy and a new power t- to the performance that perhaps wasn't quite mm. there originally first time round. Yes. And do you sort of, when you look at those bands that have stayed, you know, just kept going for various reasons, from the searches to the Stones to you too, do you sort of think, my God, how do you guys do it? Because obviously you had your, you know, four or five years and a bit mm. more probably in a couple of releases, and then those bands have kept going. Because obviously you're sort of picking, up, picking it up again now and, and thinking, God, this is quite good fun. But, you know, yeah. like you've had a few decades off from, from being in the band. Yeah. So, so do you sort of, because I've slightly had more respect, a lot more respect for some of these bands who who've managed to kind of manoeuvre through the sort of not only the admin and the business side, but also their personality side as well. Mm. Well, it's a funny thing because um, I think, um, emotionally and spiritually, um, you grow. We've had opportunities to grow, you know, um, because we haven't been in one unit for 30 years, you know, like status quo or something like that. Um, so we've had a lot of different life experiences, um, you know, with various jobs, people you meet. I've been in different bands, you and us. So we've been involved in music and, and that um is enriching i suppose rather than trying to keep flogging your the bradford horse or something so now when, when we're coming back to it it's great to play some of the um the songs that we used to play and they've, they kind of stand the test of time and that's really quite something really they do sound good because they're good songs i suppose so they've, they've come un, unglued from the time that they were made which is what you want from good music. I mean, the Beatles still sound great to this day, blah de blah. Um, not not saying they were as good as the Beatles, right? But and and we're so much looking forward because we we've got new songs and and we've already we we really do feel like it was unfinished business, and we've got an opportunity to perhaps um, do another album, which we're working on right now, um, and to show that what we've got that the thing that is Bradford still has relevance and still has spark and still has great music so um you know it, it's just a very happy exciting time for us i think yes and uh, and you must have noticed on the wonderful world that is social media that a lot of those bands from 30 years ago have sort of tentatively sort of come back and are playing gigs from you know people like the the darling buds to you know the primitives and then you have you know pete astor who was in the weather prophets and loft and then davy woodward from the brilliant corners and various other bands so it's kind of it's been quite interesting that, that people have only had to spend three decades away from from their from their sort of passion to sort of regain the love of it again well, it could be. I mean, there is a classic thing that people say, uh, you know, midlife crisis. Um, is it oh, we're all having a classic <laughs> midlife crisis together? You know, it's like the last gasp before the goffin leg gets nailed off. <laughs> but I, um, I, 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 I don't subscribe to the midlife crisis theory. I think it's more like a midlife opportunity. Why should it be a crisis? It's an opportunity to revisit something. And if something's good, and if something were true and honest and had spark and spirit, then it will still have that. Time becomes irrelevant. And I think quite happily we've discovered that because 
there'd be nothing worse if we tried to play these songs here and we're like, oh, mate, it's just not working. These just sound so tired and old and jaded and so yesterday. They, you know, they still sound pretty good, so... What is it? What is interesting about that midlife crisis is, in a way, you know, and having sort of as as one does as you get older, as long as you don't die, you sort of have different experiences, and you can't be the same as you were when you were eighteen or twenty, and you can't really relate to young people either, which is quite nice because you know they can <laughs> they can patronise you can patronise you annoying <laughs> you can you can both patronise each other in a nice way. But the interesting thing is that you know when you you know you, no one's going to get back, no one's going to look at the end of their life and think you know what I really wished I'd done more of was sitting more meetings at work you know you're never going to say that are you I wish I'd sort of had more times out wish I'd spent longer at work you know you kind of wish you'd done the things you enjoyed and playing music is obviously something you know is that you you get to an age you think actually what I really would like is to do what I used to love and that could be you know getting on a bike going for a run doing a swim or you know playing music so I think in a way I think the midlife crisis is a bit of a sort of I don't know it's a cheap comment really isn't it because it's like okay you know that's what you know we are old but we're not trying to be young anymore we're not going to try and jump on stage because that will end in tears and a, and a visit to a and e really <laughs> yeah yeah um, i would I, I would agree though with the the wanting to you know the unfinished business uh that ian uh referred to and i, I would imagine that probably a lot of bands feel similar uh in looking back you know you tend to when i listen to shouting quietly from all those years ago you tend to think oh I could have done that differently and and that could have sounded different and and I would like to have done this but you know I'd, I'd either not thought about it at the time or we didn't have the time when we were recording or whatever and so for me it, it's like and particularly what Ian referred to about as evolving and having been in different bands and you know had different experiences and it's so for me it's like an opportunity now to, to come back to to creating something but with perhaps more ingredients to uh, mm. yeah, uh, yeah, hand you yeah. know to create that more you know that that classic something rich, something like. rich yeah, yeah yeah great yeah yeah Absolutely. and just lastly what would you kind of say to your 18 year old self you know or what would you would you know knowledge or, or sort of wisdom that you would impart if you saw you know your you know, the young 18-year-old, and you thought, oh, actually, I could I could just give them a quick word before they go into the studio or onto the stage. Well, I mean, the thing I'd probably say, um, in, in the broadest sense, is, is don't be, you know, the biggest thing about life is trying to learn not to be afraid, you know, and, and not to be scared. Um, I think that that's, I know it's a very broad thing, it's not relating just to music, but you know, you'll be okay. Things will hopefully be okay, and you get through things. You know, um, you know, don't be afraid. That's what I'd say. What about you? you well, well, I, I think uh, we've probably had a very similar thought though, because but I was going to phrase it as take less shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> take less shit and have yeah. Have you have more, to use bad language. Have, have, have more self belief. <laughs> he's a nice guy. This guy. He's going to think we're northern lights. <laughs> Come just meet you. And have more self belief and. Um, yeah, yeah. That, that would pretty much be the the advice I give to my eighteen year old self. Excellent. Well, that's all good. I know what happened to the Redskins. That's because that album, their one album, was a was, yeah. was genius. I mean, because the Smiths' first album, you know, when you think back at you know their debut album, you think, oh, that's that. You know, you were talking about production and sound. You thinking, yeah, you can see it's 
kind of got the genius, but it's not a you know a great album. And then Hatful of Hollow was amazing, but that was a John Peel kind of session and all that. And then then they got got going, but the Redskins just nailed it in one album. You know, it was up there with Nevermind the Bollocks, really. And then it was like they've disappeared, and no one knows what's happened to them. That's the weird thing. You're absolutely right. You know what, Dave? It's really hard to get hold of that album online as well. Oh, no. you, you try to track down neither Washington nor Moscow. It's like it's kind of disappeared. I mean, we used to have Have you still got your vinyl in the attic? I've right? still got it, yeah. Yeah, you will have, won't you? Um, I've long, long gone. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, uh, I mean, we used to love seeing the Redskins, didn't we? Ewan's yeah. brother, Kevin, used to work with Martin, the bass player, because yeah. they used to print the Socialist Worker uh, newspaper together Excellent. in London. So that's where that... I, I think this is perhaps key to it, is that um, I think they went through some kind of existential um crisis uh which is ultimately why they folded i think because of the fact that they were signed with a major label and they were you know they were kind of in bed with the cap the nasty capitalist side of the of the, yeah, <laughs> the music yeah. industry yeah. whilst being very committed socialists as well and i found i think they find, found that quite a, a struggle you know mm. now whether or not that's had a bearing it, it um possibly to you know the, being it being difficult for the people to now get hold of their material, I don't I don't know what kind of input they would have had there, but I know that initially first time round was a massive factor in their breakup. Yeah, well I suppose it was a bit like the Clash, but I don't know, signing to a major and then moaning about it. But it was kind of weird because Chris, you know, the lead the lead chap has just completely disappeared, which is in this day and age is quite amazing. And it just, is right. Yeah, you know, it's some really mundane job in in <clears throat> you know in Yorkshire. Like where that, he came yeah. from. Yeah. <laughs> that do you want black do you want i can sell shoes um yes but, um so i last heard you know what it's like you know that he's living on the moon with elvis no that he's living in york with his mum but you know i can't remember who told me that but yeah yeah um great guys and t- talent as well it's so it's so sad really that they just indeed I know. But anyway, that is the end of the interview. And that was with, um, yes, Bradford, the band, who I do believe have got a new album coming out, produced by the one and only Stephen Street. Anyway, that was Ian Hodgson and also Ewan Butler. In conversation, this has been David Eastall, The C86 Show. If you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do at C86 Show. And also all these interviews have been um, podcasted. Uh, yeah, archived, so you can find those in podcast land, which is uh, Spotify, iTunes, and Podbean. We love that. Anyway, have a great week. Stay safe. <laughs>